Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. and certain men of Judah and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped which were left everybody say left of the captivity concerning Jerusalem and they said unto me the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach and the wall of Jerusalem also was broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire skipping over to chapter 4 Chapter 4, starting with verse 1, but came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren, the army of Samaria, and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps? of the rubbish which are burned. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Verse number 10 of the same chapter. And Judah said, The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so that we are not able to build the wall. We are not able to build the wall. Tonight, I'm not switching. I don't have to change titles. I don't do none of that. I want to this evening just to revisit this and preach tonight. Everybody say left over, but not left out. Left over, but not left out. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I love you, Jesus, here this evening. God, I'm grateful, Lord, for your people that have gathered here together tonight. God, thankful, Lord, for those, Lord, that 12 years ago were here. And we're thankful, Lord, for the new faces, God, that have arrived. God, and come up on the scene, Lord, in that amount of time. I pray, oh, Lord, today, God, for whatever reason, God, that you have compelled me, Lord Jesus, in this direction. I want to be obedient, Lord God, unto you. God, perhaps something, Lord God, said, Lord, spoken. God, could minister, Lord, to a life, Lord, or individual, Jesus, in this place tonight. God, we surrender our lives. We surrender our voices, our hands, Lord, every faculty of our being, Lord, unto you. Mark air from my lips, Lord Jesus, and help us to do the work, God, that you would have us to do in the next few moments that I pray in Jesus' name. And the church say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. A figure of yesteryear by the name of Winston Churchill is remembered as perhaps the greatest prime minister in the history of Great Britain. He led his island nation to stand against a notable foe by the name of Hitler, and he eventually triumphed in World War II against him. But years before that notable victorious time, of the ages of Winston Churchill and World War II, Churchill found himself going through and experiencing a succession of devastating events in his own personal life. In August of 1929, Churchill had managed to bring in approximately $70,000 into 
his family coffers or into uh, their banks, if you will. He invested nearly all of that $70,000 into the American stock market. Now, this was 1929. He invested about $70,000 into the American stock market, and he was so proud about the money, so proud of his choice and the management of that money that he jotted a little note to his wife and was telling her how pleased he was that they had finally reached this, this placement in life of financial peace and financial independence. I know all of us are still trying to get there, but he felt like he had arrived. And so less than 90 days after investing that money in the American stock market, it is the, what set off the depression as we know it that started and the stock market fell drastically and Churchill lost virtually everything that he invested in the stock market. And so you can only imagine uh, the weight and the concern now that is upon this man who had $70,000 and now seemingly has not much of that $70,000 left. And it was enough to send Churchill and almost any man for that matter, I know I joined him, uh, into a depression, a very deep depression. But that was just the start of some downturn events that happened in his life. There were two more difficulties that waited quietly and patiently, amen, to arrive in the life of Winston Churchill. In 1931, after serving his entire adult life as a very central figure in the British government, he thought that he was poised and positioned uh, to serve on the cabinet of the British government, but he never received any type of invitation. He had served in a, a place of a central figure and he thought that was just grooming him for this placement, but he never received an invitation. And so his expectations were not met. And that was another staggering blow to Churchill. He had been, in certain terms, banished to a political wilderness by not getting that invitation to serve in that capacity. And yet, while Hitler was working full-time, he was, Hitler was working full-time to, to do war against anybody that would wish to go to war against him and build his war machine and desensitize those people that served under him. Churchill, as most would know after the fact, was the only political British leader that really seen the reality of Hitler's threat, yet he was not in the position, as it would seem, to do anything about it because he was put out to pasture, so to speak. And so he has the defeat of his financial loss he has not been involved in the political system as he has expected all these things are weighing heavily upon him and so anybody that's going through this says you know what I need a vacation I don't know where he got the money to go on vacation, but he came to America to get away, to go on vacation. And whenever he went on vacation in that same year, trying to just hold everything together financially, trying to hold himself together concerning depression, he decided, I'm going to take a tour of Canada and the United States. And while he was in New York City, uh, he was crossing a street in the busy New York, for those of you that have been there. And while he was crossing the street, he looked the wrong way while crossing the street was hit by a taxi that was traveling about 35 miles per hour put him in the hospital due from this accident and he was just clinging to life by a friend and so then less than three years he had suffered some very shattering things for his personal life he had suffered financially 
He had suffered politically. He had suffered with his life, nearly losing his life in this accident that almost cost him his life. And his wife was pinning a letter to their son, telling about the horrible condition that his father was in. And she said, son, last night your, your, your father was very sad. He said over the past couple of years now uh, that there have been some very drastic things that have happened in his life. And he said last night he did not think he would ever recover completely from the event that have just happened in the past few years. And it's at that point, as he recovered in that New York hospital room, that Winston Churchill himself, being 57 years old, by the way, he could not see the future from a hospital bed. He could not see the future from where he was placed right now in time. As a matter of fact, everything at that moment, not looking through rose-colored glasses, but dark glasses perhaps, everything looked bad to him at that moment. Amen. Everything looked bad. As a matter of fact, the enemies, political enemies, were crying out concerning his condition that church heal is finished. But that would be their famous last words. Because they thought since this man was financially strapped, politically ignored, terribly injured, that he didn't have anything left over. But history proves otherwise. That that statement was a little bit premature. Because nine years later, at the right moment in history... The government that ignored him would give him a place and a position in a time of desperation. And as we know, he would come forth valiantly to go against the war and the army of Hitler. I've come on this Sunday night to remind some people here today that there may be some sitting under the sound of my voice tonight that may have a similar episode and situation like Churchill and you've experienced some devastating events. You've experienced some losses. You've experienced some reversals. You've experienced some things where it felt like there's no possible way I'll ever recover. There's no possible way I'll get out from under all of this. And I don't even feel like I have much to work with. There's just not much left. Amen. Concerning my vitality, my strength, and my life. Amen. But I've come to tell you here this evening that God doesn't have to have much to work with. God does not have to have much to work with. While every other eye was turning heads whenever they considered the, the, the condition of Jerusalem and the ruins of Jerusalem and the remnant of the people of Jerusalem, Nehemiah, when he heard about it, he wants to go. He wants to inspect the ruins. He wants to go. He wants to see how everything is going concerning the remnant that is left. He says, I know there's been atrocities that have happened in there. I know there's destruction that is happening there. But I want to know how are those that are left? How is the condition of those that are still there? He begins to concern himself with those that remained. Because whenever you talk about something being left, when you talk about a remnant, you're talking about something that is left over. You're talking about something that has survived, something that has made it, something that has remained, although many things have been subtracted something that remains you're talking about a little residual 
spiritual matter, although it may not be much, it's still something that is left. He says, I want to know what's left. Because if we'll ever build the city, if we'll ever build Jerusalem again, we're going to have to use with whatever's left. If we ever cause this thing to arise out of the ashes and the rubble and the ruins, it's going to come from whatever is left. Can someone say amen? It reminds me of the Old Testament story in 2 Kings 4 that whenever there was a woman, the Bible says that the creditors have come. They have already bargained with her that we're going to have to take your two sons because you don't have money in order to pay the debt that you have. Her husband is dead. She is a widow. She is found in some very unfortunate events. But the Bible says the man of God, Elisha, visits her house and he asks her these words. This is what he asked her. He says, is there anything left? Left in the house. Is there anything left in the house? And she starts forward and says, uh, Sir, I don't have anything left in the house. He says, Is there anything? I don't have anything left in the house. But then she pauses and she says, Save a, a pot of oil. They could not do anything with nothing that wasn't there. Couldn't do anything with that which was absent. But he says if you got a pot of oil, that one thing that she had left, that one thing that the hardness of her times had not subtracted from her or taken from her, he says it's from that very pot that your bills are going to be paid. It's from that very pot that your life is going to be sustained. It's from that very pot because although it may be left over, it's not left out. I can take whatever is left Someone hear me today. You've heard it preached before, but help me preach it just one more time. We can, if you will, capitalize and talk about everything we don't have. That lady could have talked about what she did not have. She, should, she could have spilled several paragraphs to Elisha. I don't have food in my cupboards. I, I don't have meal in my barrel. I don't have this. I don't have these. No, no, no. Don't get me wrong. I want to know what you got. I want to know what the remnant is. I want to know what's left over because if you can give me what is left, Left, God can do something with what is left. Yeah. He can do something with what is left. So Nehemiah asked Hananiah, he says, what about these Jews in Nehemiah 1? These Jews that did escape. These Jews that were left of the captivity. I want to know, I want to know how the remnant is faring. I want to know about those that survived. Those that are left over, those that after an elimination process, those that are still there. Elimination processes happen different ways. Sometimes they can be natural. That is, I wish everybody to walk through the doors always remained with us, but they don't. Sometimes they're just natural. As a matter of fact, if everybody ever walked through the doors was still here today, this church would not hold them. Would by no means hold them. Amen. But I can't stand up here and just capitalize upon who's didn't make it and who's not there. I got to concentrate upon what's left about the remnant. All right, about the remnant. So sometimes there's natural causes. Sometimes there's human error and human causes. Uh, loose lips sink ships and people talk. And I'm just being honest. And so as a result of that, there's only something left. But then there is direct divine intervention that leaves some things. The Bible says in Matthew 13 and verse 30, it says, Let both, speaking of tares and wheat, grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares. And bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat, that which is left. 
that which is left over, he says, into my barn. So regardless whether the remainder as the result of something natural or the result of human cause or result of divine intervention, the point is this. Whatever remains or has survived or is left over, he said, gather that into my barn because I'm not finished with what is left. Someone say amen. God will always, I'm telling you this absolutely according to his word, God will always have a people. God will always have a people among a people. There have been too many times even the Jewish people in Israel as a nation has been attempted to be annihilated. And there's always been a people that have been left, amen, to build out of and build upon. There will always be a called, if you will, among the chosen. He will always have a remnant. And though those people may be small and though the numbers at time may be minuscule, God says, I don't have have to have big numbers to build. I started this whole thing with nothing to begin with. I can work with leftovers. Someone say amen. amen. Whenever we see that the world was destroyed by water the first time, amen, and the bow was set in the cloud for reminder in the covenant with Noah and his family that he would not do it again. We understand, though, those that were placed upon the ark of humanity. New Testament says eight souls were saved. Noah and seven of his family were saved. And it would be from those eight souls of people would come the repopulating, if you will, of the world. The repopulating, if you will, of the world of that day. There was a remnant that was left, but that's all God needed was a remnant. Amen. Even though the destruction of the world was world over. Amen. God knew if I can have me a remnant, I can replenish. If I have me just eight, I can multiply. If I have me just eight, I can build a community. I can build a people. And someday I can build a nation that will serve me and honor me. I've come to tell somebody today, I don't know what your circumstance is, but if it's getting bare, that doesn't intimidate God. God doesn't have to have much to build. God let me tell you this today, that if we get down to five people, God's not intimidated. If it gets to three people on Wednesday nights, and there's some Wednesdays, I'm a little scared. Just a little commercial on the side note. That God, he is a professional in leftovers. And he can take the five, and he can replenish, and he can multiply, and he can rebirth. Amen. From the few left over, but not left out. I have told this story before, and, and this was particularly whenever we evangelized. But there was a sweet old lady, and I, I say that respectfully. There's a sweet old lady over in Kentucky of all places, and, and she, they were uh, up in years, and, and uh, you, you didn't go. I mean, now today you go somewhere, most part, you're going to go out to eat for your meals, you know, breakfast, dinner, or, 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 or lunch and dinner. You're going to go out for those meals. Very seldom uh, in today's world are you brought to a person's home uh, to share a meal with them at their house whenever uh, you go and preach for them or evangelize. We, we have evangelists at our house sometimes for a meal just to shake things up and be always eating out for fried food and all that garbage, but nevertheless, that wasn't the case. They were an old 
older couple. And so they would have us at their house. And, honey, we, we stayed in their home. This is before we ever even had a trailer. We stayed in their home. And you could be awakened by, by bacon that's frying in the pan, you know, in the morning. Some eggs being shook over there. Brother Mike Trout, man, man she's speaking my language. I always said that we had a gift. She had a gift to cook, and I had a gift to eat. So we were compatible. And then we, we could do this thing. And, and she would have that thing going. And, man, she would make a mess of food. Mess of food. I'm telling you, if there's such a thing, she made a mess of food. Amen. For breakfast. I felt like I'd went to the buffet. I mean, she had all these dishes out. There's almost no room to put your plate because this lady has filled so many containers on her table yeah. with everything frying pork chops for breakfast. Oh, we're talking now. Oh, we fry pork chop, man. Fry bologna. Fry this. Fry. Man, you fry your fork if you want to. You know, this is good stuff. She had all this stuff out there, and this is the miracle of her story. Whenever it came lunchtime, she started cooking up a little bit more, but she'd get out some of those leftovers and somehow incorporate them. Yeah. I kid you not. It, so if you, did, uh, if you didn't want fried pork chop for lunch, you better eat it all for, for breakfast. She'd somehow incorporate that or some vegetables perhaps they'll be the side for the next meal. And honey, if it got dinner or supper time, whichever you wish to prefer or say, amen, whenever it came that time, you might have something still lingering there from breakfast. Because for her, honey, that was left over, but it not left out. Man, they might have been living on a fixed income, you know, every bean counted and everything. And we already got this evangelist using water to shower every night after he preaches and Just brought this back to my memory. We was doing this little uh, project over at Dad's house there, and he's wanting to. And he thought he was going to lay some linoleum, but he's going to lay some carpet. And so he went by Metro Carpets, and he knows those guys. He's worked on their every every person that got Dad knows for years. He's worked on their cars. Okay. And so he went over there, and he told me, he said, "I got me a carpet remnant." He said for the bathroom remnant, you know, something that's left. Have these big, humongous rows. You all been there maybe before? Maybe you haven't. Uh, not to, just a carpet place. It was rows and rows and rows, yards and yards of carpet. And uh, sometimes they get to the end of the row and they can't sell that odd space and that's carpet remnant. Or perhaps someone ordered too much and, and they just allowed them to keep whatever the remainder is, a carpet remnant. And Dad went in there and got a piece of carpet remnant for his bathroom for, you know, just go for $10. Is that crazy? I mean, over in the pile, every other individual, you know, was going to the rows, and Dad's over there. Dad's over there pilfering around, and these little cutout pieces look like a pentagon, and this one a hexagon, you know, and this and that. And he's looking through there for a piece of carpet remnant because although it was left out, you know, and it's just a remnant, he said, you know, I can use that for something. I, I can utilize that for something right there. See, it's all according to what you want to see. You can enter Jerusalem as Nehemiah did, and some are just going to see rubbish, and some are going to see ruins, but somebody else is going to see something that still has some utility to it. about I've been broken down nothing good can come out of this look at this broken piece and that broken piece and my marriage is broken and my health has been broken and my finances have been broken there's nothing that can be worked with here this is just a bunch of junk and it's all horrible but if you allow God just to step into your life he'll start uncovering a, a whole piece here and a whole piece there and a whole piece there and God says wait a minute don't you throw all this away I believe we got something we can work with I believe we got something we can build with I believe we got something that we can restore with. 
Don't see it as a bunch of rubbish and ruins. It might be a remnant, a raw material that God can do something with. Right? The bearer burdens were discouraged because they had rubbish ruin mentality. Someone had to come in there with fresh eyes and say, I see a brick here that's still intact. I see a piece of timber over here that's not splintered or bowed or, or broken in the middle. I see something over here that if we knock just some of the edges off. My grandpa, the Opus McGee, Butch McGee has got his jeans. Honey, they'd take crooked nails and straighten them out. I said, me, I'd go by noon. But they'll take the time to sit down with a hammer, vice, whatever it is, and straighten out crooked nails. Because they've seen some utility. The Bible says in 1 Kings 19 and verse 14, Elijah said this after his great victory. Before and after, really, his great victory on Mount Carmel. He says, I, he said, even I only am left. They seek my life to take it away. He says, I'm all alone. I'm by myself. I'm all, I'm all that there is left. God's response to Elijah in verse 18 was, he says, Elijah, yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. You know what God was telling Elijah? I know you feel like you're the only one. He says, but I have a remnant. I know you think you're the only one, but I have something that remains. And just as you're feeling like you're by yourself, I want you to know I haven't forgotten about you, but I've not forgotten about the individuals of the other 7,000 as well. They're under my watchful eye, under my watchful mind, just because all the other nations around them may have forgotten them. I know where they're at. I know where they're at, and I have not forgotten about them. Remember our nice little Bible story of John 6. God feeds the 5,000 men with barley loaves, five barley loaves and two small fish that came from a lad. At the end of the feeding, the following happened in John 6, 12. When they were filled, or I say filled, he said unto his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing, or I say nothing, that nothing be lost. Therefore, they gathered them together Filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. God, Master, we just had all these people filled. They ate until they were filled, the Bible says. They are not wanting any more food. And you're telling us to go out where 5,000 people has been setting with these baskets and gather up what's left? You want us to gather up what remains, what's left over? I mean, remember now, just a few moments ago, it was just five loaves and two fishes. God says, yeah, I want you boys to go out there and gather up what is left because I don't want you to discard anything that is left over. I don't want you to discard anything that remains because if necessary, if we got another meal or another multitude to feed, we can use the leftovers of the previous meal for what we need right now. And to prove that, they got on a boat later in John 16 
And the Lord makes a response to his disciples. He says, beware of the leaven of the scribes and of the Pharisees. With their mind fixed on this idea of leaven and leaven involved in bread. And, and they thought he's saying this because we haven't take, brought any bread with us. It's the reason why the Lord is saying this. And of course the Lord, knowing the very thoughts of their hearts, spoke to them. He said, I'm not talking to you about bread. He said, did you forget the five loaves and the 5,000 and the seven loaves? Huh? Did you forget about that? Did you forget about the five loaves and the 5,000, the seven loaves and the 4,000? You know what he's saying? Honey, he said, I'm not talking to you about bread because we got leftovers from the last one. I'm not, I'm not talking to you about bread. See, God sees the possibility in the remnant. As Nehemiah seen the possibility in those few that were left in Jerusalem, those left of the captivity, God sees the possibility in the remnant. And whenever Nehemiah shared his vision with those that were left, with those that remained, the Bible says they strengthened their hands for the rebuilding of the walls and the rebuilding of the gates. And they were no sooner than halfway having rebuilt the walls that two adversaries by the name of Sambalat and Tobiah began to ridicule the people of God when they heard that the wall was being rebuilt. They were rebuilding the wall, amen, a desire to build it, a desire just to start and get it going, amen. And folks, as a side note tonight, you've not upset your enemy until you started to do what you've had good intentions about doing. So when they heard about it, they was ready to raise a ruckus because now there was some activity going on and it wasn't just a blueprint out and lines being drawn and conversation about it, but someone's laid down some mortar now and somebody's laid down some brick. So we got to see what's going on. And Sam Ballot says, mockingly, what do these feeble Jews, because there's just a handful of them, what do these feeble Jews, what are they going to accomplish because they are all that is left of the captivity. They were underestimating, if you will, the power of the remnant. The power of those that were left. From my understanding from agriculture and other things as well. That even some of the greatest trees that we have around us in California grow from some of the very smallest of seeds. That rivers that flow very great start from maybe very small fountains and origins high up in the mountains. That some even slender wires have such great tensile strength that they can hold some very great weights. And that if you were to damage a very small nerve in your body, your brain is going to be telling you about the pain that is riveting in your body large machinery as they may be even the very smallest cog or gear is important the greatest of intellect that people might have might come just from a very small truth that they became aware of what are you talking about I'm saying we need not to despise the day of small things remnant things leftover things huh? for the apostle said when I am weak then am I strong Someone say amen. So the scoffing Sanballat and Tobiah was, will they revive the stones out of these heaps of rubbish? These heaps of rubbish that are burned. Do you have enough manpower to do what needs accomplished? Can you inspire these people to do what needs accomplished? For that matter, is there any material that you can use 
Is there any material that's left? The building, the stone of Jerusalem, from my understanding, was, was limestone, which whenever limestone gets hot, particularly in the city had been burned, when it gets hot by fire, limestone has a tendency to soften has a tendency to crumble. It loses its durability. It loses its vitality and its use. So they're wanting to know, can you revive? Can you bestow strength back upon something that has lost all strength? Can you bring a, a rigidness to something that has lost its durability? Because you're dealing with some softened, crumbled stones here. Can, can you fit these things back together to make a new wall? How, how can you make something constructive come out of something so destructive. According to Nehemiah, it's perfectly clear that there were some traces of the old walls and the gates that remained whenever he surveyed the city by night. And this is one thing that he had pledged himself, I want to restore the walls and I want to restore the gates. Every commission that had preceded him through Zerubbabel and through Ezra, they could only take care of the temple, repairing the temple or some of the private dwellings that were in the city of Jerusalem. But Nehemiah had pledged, I want to go amongst the ruins of the walls and the gates and I want to amass, amass, if you will, all of these shattered ruins and I want to do something with this because we need our walls and we need our gates. We need means of protection for our temple and we need means of protection for our homes and we need means of defense and so I want to bring up the walls and I want to bring up the gates of this grand place. And whenever you look at the walls of the city of Jerusalem today, from my understanding, people that have excavated, if you will, around the walls of the city of Jerusalem, what they have discovered is this, that the masonry of the walls of the city of Jerusalem are of various kinds. Meaning that as you look at it, it is almost a timeline of events because Jerusalem was destroyed on several occasions. But there is a patchwork of stone that are upon the walls of Jerusalem that tell this that whenever the city was destroyed they never just totally then destroyed everything and started over but they would always take brick and mortar and stone that could be used and re-employ it in the city wall and when Jerusalem was destroyed again they had some of the patchwork of the first stones and some after this destruction and they had used some of those stones meaning that whenever Nehemiah went to build the wall he said you know what we're not going to haul all this junk off but we're going to find what's usable we're going to find what has utility we're going to find what can be be re-employed in the wall and we're going to put mortar on it and we're going to build the wall again with whatever was whatever was left and so you go there today and you see a patchwork a periods of time where people come to the understanding there is always something that is left that can be used a composite of different remnants. A composite, if you will, a quilt patchwork in a wall. A different remnants of things that were left over. But not left out. An artist went to visit a dear friend. When he arrived, she was weeping uncontrollably. He asked her, why are you weeping? She showed him a handkerchief, of all things, a handkerchief of exquisite beauty. 
that had been a very great sentimental value to her, which had though been ruined by a drop of indelible ink. It could not be washed out. It could not be cleaned. It could not be returned to its former, its former quality. And so this artist asked if he could have the handkerchief, return it to her by mail several days from the present time, and she agreed. And so he took it home with him, and several days later, she received a package in the mail from this particular artist, and whenever she opened the package, she could hardly believe her eyes. The artist, using that indelible ink blot that could not be removed, he used that ink blot as a base. He had drawn on that handkerchief a design of great beauty and uh, with Indian ink all across this handkerchief. So beautiful, much more beautiful even than what it was exquisite and beautiful before. And even more importantly, it was more valuable now than what it had been before. Because rather than discarding the handkerchief, he said, I'll take the space that's left and I'll do something with what is left. I preached last Sunday morning about sometimes by restoration. But there's sometimes even when God doesn't restore and he'll just rebuild with the particles that he has left. We'll get ourselves in a mind frame, Sister Gross. It'll never be what it was. And that is the true statement. It won't. It'll be better than what it was. Someone say amen. I'm coming to a close. Stay with me. In 2 Kings 19. 2 Kings 19 and verse 29 and verse 30. It's just a couple of verses of scripture here. That do well for all of us just to tuck into our spirit. Hezekiah has been king of Israel. He has been taken advantage of by Sennacherib, king of Assyria. They had come and attacked Hezekiah and his people. They've been breathing heavily down their neck. And as a result of that, the men and the women hadn't been able to be in the fields to sow seed or reap any type of harvest. So they, they forsook them the opportunity of getting anything in the ground for a harvest. And so whenever it came harvest time, they would not have any food. So Sennacherib had done all this to the king of Israel. This is the word of the Lord that came to Hezekiah in 2 Kings 19, 29. He says, and this shall be a sign unto thee. Ye shall eat this year such things as grow of themselves. Again, that's because they weren't able to get in the field and plant anything in the ground. When it come harvest time, they wouldn't have anything come up. God says, don't worry about that. You're going to be able to eat of things that grow of themselves, though you were not able to plant anything. And he says, in the second year, that which springeth for the same, because the second year that was coming was the year of Jubilee. It was the year of release. And according to Old Testament law, you did not plant and harvest during the year of Jubilee and of, uh, of release. You did not do that. So they weren't going to be doing it the second year either. He said, God said, don't worry about that. You're going to eat of the things that spring of themselves the very same. And he says, in the third year, sow ye and reap and plant vineyards and eat the fruits thereof. Look at verse 30. He says, and the remnant 
You've had war done against you. Your land, your country has been decimated. You have lost lives. But he says, the remnant, that which is left over, if you will, that escaped of the house of Judah, he says, shall yet again. Shall yet again take root downward and bear fruit upward. Who shall? The remnant. The leftover. The remains. That others would discard. That which others would throw away. That which others said that's just nothing but refuse. Let me tell you something. We have people sitting right here among us today. That the larger number of society wouldn't give you the time of day. Because of where your life has been and where it has led. There would be some sound of my voice tonight that society would just count you as the offcast, as the refuse, and as the trash. And some of you, and we've all to a certain extent, but you've done things with your life and you come into God and all you got is a bunch of rubbish to offer Him. All you got is a bunch of ruins to offer Him. But you know what God says? Give me your remnant. Give me what's ever left of your life. Give me what's ever left of your life. Huh? You got some broken pieces. Let me meander through there and find some of the pieces that are still intact. You just give me whatever's left of your life. And yet again, when others are discounting you, he said, I'm going to elevate you. When others are casting you aside, he says, I'm pulling you in close. Because although you might feel left over, he says, I'm a God that cannot leave you. Tell me for a moment. There's people that's been to psychiatrists and psychologists. They say, sorry, we can't help you. Doctors have stood by the bedside and with family saying, sorry, we've done everything we can do. And God's just saying, is there anything left? Is there anything left? Because if there is, yet again, somebody needs a yet again in their life. A yet again, a yet again. I can take the remainder. I can take that which is, is left after the elimination process. After everything has been subtracted. I can take that. And I'm going to rebuild. I'm going to, re, I'm going to reform. I'm going to recreate. Because this is not something. Others see this as worthless. But I see this as full of worth. If we bow our heads in this place tonight. got to offer God tonight because I know the intimidating thoughts and feelings of inferiority that entered the minds of some I don't have anything brother McGee I don't have anything to offer God no no search search your heart just a little closer search your heart a little closer be like the lady there in the Old Testament that started out with saying I don't have nothing and then say well save so what do you have to offer God oh I've been horrible and I've had this and that and so on no 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 what do you have to offer God tonight what do you have left what do you have oh I've lived a life of sin all the way into my 50s my God yeah but what what do you have left among all the rubbish among all the rubble what is it that you have left would you mind submitting that to a God that believes nothing left over should be left out sir or ma'am There is no need for you to be intimidated 
by the adversary like the Samballot and the Tobiah that's saying, what are you going to do with what you got left? Because there are intimidating voices that's in the church and within our society. And I feel like antagonizing some of our people, even today, that's telling them you don't have anything that's worth working with anymore. There's nothing left in you that's worth working with anymore. And he is lying to you and trying to intimidate you and tell you that your leftovers are not worth anything to the master and not worth anything to this church and not worth anything to this body of believers. Let me tell you something today, folks. I, 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 I would bear this in mind. I think this would probably be true that if I were to go out today and I were to cut off half of my index finger, I am not telling them if it, can, if it had to be done, it had to be done, but I'm not telling them go on and take it all off. Unless they deemed it necessary, I'm not, no, take my hand off. Just go on and take it. No. Because although it might only halfway be there, there is still some utility. Mm. And there's some people that's viewing their lives in this place. That this is all we've done for all our life. And then we came to church late in life. And we don't really have anything left. Honey, would you cut off the rest of your finger if half of it was already cut off? No. God has the uncanny ability, though, in the realm of the Spirit. To take your little nub, as it were. And bring life back into it. Just like, just like a leper that came to Jesus. The only one out of those that came back and worshipped the Lord. And he said, not only are you healed, but you're made whole. Meaning the ear that you don't have, I'll bring it back. The nose that fell off, I'll bring it back. You're not only healed, leprosy is no longer a part of your body. But I'm going to make you whole. Because God's specialty is dealing with the remnant. Dealing with whatever you have left. And we're not putting a quote on that. We're not saying, well, well, you, 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 if, if, if you've only been married twice and you only had two children out of wedlock, then God can work with that. Are you hearing, Pastor, tonight? No, no, no. We're not putting a quota on that. I'm telling you, if all you've known is bad relationships and you had ten children out of wedlock, God says, I see something that I'm not going to leave at. Our heads in this place. Altars are open tonight. If the antagonist of your soul has been intimidating you and telling you you don't have anything good, you're feeling overwhelmed by the ruins, you're feeling overwhelmed by the rubbish, and just dealing with all that, it seems like you can't even come across something that you feel like that is worthy of being used. You need to let the master start just to, if you will, go through all of the rubbish, go through all the ruins, because I guarantee you he's going to find a remnant. He's going to find something left over that has utility, that can be used for his purpose, that can be used for his kingdom. You might be discounting it, but he's counting on it tonight. Hallelujah. Will you open yourself up to the Lord this evening? God, here I am, Lord. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.